Welcome to Uncontained, episode 103. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render. You've probably heard us talk about this next guest on either of the Tom Garland shows, episode 1 and episode 100. So I figured, since we talked about him so much on those episodes, had Tom hook up an interview, this is Joe Clark. He's a filmmaker out of Iowa. He's been making films since he was 10 years old. And uh, we talk about some of the things he did to create those films as a kid, including using his parents' TV screen as a green screen of sorts to film himself jumping from explosions and all sorts of crazy stuff like that as a kid. He's come a long way, though, since 10, with five feature films, one of them being a talking dog Christmas movie called Up on the Wooftop, featuring Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell. And he also has a new horror suspense thriller coming out called Spiral. And we talk about shooting that uh, during this episode a little bit as well. Besides doing feature film work, Joe has done a lot of documentary shoots too, including one with Buffalo Bills Pro Bowl player Micah Hyde and WWE superstar Rob Van Dam. That one is in progress of shooting right now, so we couldn't get too much into detail on the Rob Van Dam one. We also talk about why Iowa has experienced such a boom in the independent film scene and where he's planning on going with his career as well. So that's all coming up in this episode. I would like to thank everybody for the continued support of the show. And here is where I pitch you uncontained merchandise. Yes, t-shirts, hoodies, It's cold in Iowa, so if you're out there, you definitely want at least one hoodie. And uh, coffee cups, mugs, and all that good stuff, all at TeePublic. I made it simple for you on my Uncontained page. There is the Purchase Now button. All you have to do is click that. It will take you right to TeePublic and get yourself that Uncontained swag. That, my friends, I appreciate everybody who has done that so far. And I won't keep you waiting any longer. I know you want to hear Joe Clark right here on Uncontained. How are you doing today, Joe? Mr. Render, I'm doing well. How's it going? Not bad. Mr. Render, huh? It's the best render joke that someone has uh, said to you. Dude, I've I've had a few render jokes. I took some audio video production classes. And plus, I live in Silicon Valley area, so... There's going to be some rendering jokes going around. My film teacher in college told me that I ruined rendering for him. I don't know if I was that bad of a student or what, but he's like, every time I hear render, I think of you. Yeah. You're the only last name that jocks can't make fun of you for it because they don't have no idea what it is. (laughs) You had to be a film student to get made fun of. Yes, yes. Or a butcher. Or a butcher. Yeah, yes. there we go. So, you know, it, I, I cross I cross occupations with my last name. But enough, <laughs> yeah. about, enough about my last name and the versatility of it. What's going on with you, Joe? Not too much, man. I uh, just got the, uh, the movie pass. Have you uh, heard about this? I have not. What's up? Oh, dude, you got to get the movie pass. It's, uh, it's $9.99 a month, and you can see uh, one movie a day. And um, they send you a debit card and they debit like $13 or whatever the ticket cost is. You can see one movie a day and you don't swipe it. So I kind of use that and I basically I try and go to as many movies as possible. 
And I kind of just like sit in the back and uh, sometimes I'll just stay for like 40, 45 minutes and just like dip <laughs> out. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. How, how do you get this magic movie card? Uh, <laughs> I only shill other companies, but uh, it's uh, moviepass.com. Okay. Uh, it actually, uh, it was a running joke with friends, but I ordered it back in July and I got it a week ago. So uh, I think what happened is they had this great idea and there's like two dudes behind it. And then like about 300,000 orders swamped in and they realized, oh shit, we got to like actually build the infrastructure of this thing. But uh, it's kind of the future of movies in a way. It's a subscription to movie theaters. That is awesome. So you pay like $9 a month and you can go see whatever movies you want to see. $9 a month. There's 4,000 theaters in the country that abide by it. And you can see one movie a day. Pretty. That's we're in the future. 2018. We're here. I'm sorry, man. We're going to have to do this interview some other time. I'm going to go get online right now and get that. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll come back in six months when you actually receive it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to get started, man. You got to get started. So and then... In six months, I don't know what movies will be out in six months uh, that we can see. Another Avengers, I think. Another Jurassic Park. It's the same movies over and over again. <laughs> Just sequels. You know, yeah. the new Star Wars should be out again. Um, yeah. They're like putting those out every three months now. And the Han Solo one's supposed to be out, but people are freaking out because there's no production stills. There's no trailers. Like nothing's out about this movie. And there's like been a bunch of controversy. So. People are assuming it's about to suck. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, sadly, if you don't see anything on a film, especially what's supposed to be a big budget film, that's the case a lot of the times. I know. I feel like that's kind of... Um, I, I like movies uh, that don't have a lot that come out about it. Like a Cloverfield, for example. When uh, when those trailers come out, like it's something innovative in the marketing that I feel like is... Uh, much more alluring because you don't know anything about it. It's all the mystery, and then it makes you want to go see it that much more. Yeah, yeah, I definitely hear that as well. Instead of the previews that show like all the good parts of the movie in the previews, you're like, all right, well, I really didn't need to go see that movie. I think there are like five trailers per movie now, which is just nuts. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your films instead of like all these other uh, <laughs> films. I directed Han Solo. Didn't you know this? <laughs> Man, I, I, they told me it was big. They told me it was big, but I had no clue. <laughs> so we've actually talked about you a little bit on the show, a little bit behind your back, I guess. But it was all good stuff, I promise. Typical. Typical. Um, had uh, Tom Garland on a couple of times, actually, on my first and awesome. 100th episode. Whoa. And both episodes, you were mentioned. Very awesome. I um, Not a lot of people know this, but I pay Tom $5 every time he says my name out in public. He, he's like a little puppet, you know? You just give him $5 and he'll say what you want to say. Like, pull the string on the back and, uh, you know. That's how he gets the rules. Exactly. Why do you think Tom Green likes him? Tom <laughs> <laughs> Green's throwing him a five every night. He's doing it. Exactly. And that, that's cheap. So the first time he was on, uh, he was talking about a Christmas movie you did up on the rooftop with uh, <laughs> Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell. That's... Like <laughs> I tried to find that movie. I wanted to watch it this Christmas, but I couldn't find it this Christmas. Don't don't try hard, dude. Do not try. <laughs> I, I just thought it'd be great to watch. I, I've seen you know there aren't that many really good Christmas movies out there. The last <laughs> one I saw that I enjoyed was Elf. Yeah, yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah. And 
Uh, yeah, so we made a Christmas talking dog movie called, like you said, Up on the Rooftop. And um, it's been fun to actually see it become like kind of a like hipster funny thing with friends of like, um, like I'll get a, a couple videos every Christmas of like friends watching it with their family or like showing the trailer to people because it's just uh, it's pretty absurd that we have Mr. Belding playing Santa Claus in a Christmas talking dog movie. And, so, uh, and uh, Tom, yeah, Tom Garland is in that. He plays a yes. bartender. He's actually hysterical in the role. It's great. I'm saying actually as if he's not hysterical in other roles, but uh, <laughs> funny given the genre and the vehicle of the movie that we're working within. Yes. I love you, Tom. Yeah, so uh, that is a big jump from the movie that you're putting out now, uh, Spiral, right? Up on the Wolftop 2. Oh, yeah, Spiral. Yeah, and well, you got Up on the Wolftop 2 sequels, has to come along, which is the horror movie version. Uh, no, yeah, uh, we kind of want to do like a 180 and just go complete opposite balls of the wall. Uh, we had some real negative experiences on like the distribution side of Wooftop, which just dealing with shysters and um, did put like really like sour experience of um, just the film industry, which obviously everyone goes through at some point. Um, and so like... Really just wanted to kind of change gears and do a completely different movie and make the decisions that um, I wanted to make. I mean, it was a very selfish movie, you know, the whole one for one for them, one for me sort of mentality. Um, so instead of uh, talking dogs, we got um, one-legged guys stalking bachelor parties with crazy strippers and cocaine and uh, all sorts of twists and turns that... Um, evolved the movie, but it's also uh, more than the genre. I think it's a pretty cool, trippy. Uh, there's certain experimental elements, which so that you know that used to scare me off. The, I hate experimental movies. What type of experimental aspects are there? Um, I uh, I don't want to uh, spoil the storyline. I think that's part of the fun. Is that um, you go into the film uh, thinking that it's a bachelor party bro movie, and it unfolds into something else uh and i feel like that's kind of like the hot thing now right it's kind of bend genres and go in different directions yeah so that's kind of part of the fun of the ride is you don't quite know what's around the corner and i think that's kind of an exciting thing to try and capture especially with you know like we talked about most movies we know we kind of get the general clue of all right there's going to be good guys, the bad guys, and uh, they're going to save the world and this and that. And so this is uh, something different. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time I can pretty much figure out how the movie's going to end or what's going to happen in an upcoming scene. Drives my girlfriend crazy, but I'm always <laughs> telling her what's happening before. She's like, you've seen this? No, I'm just an ass. But <laughs> Right. <laughs> it is like such a like a weirdly disrespectful thing, but like I do it all the time where I'm like guessing plot points and it's so annoying. Yeah, and it's like I have to focus and try not to say it out loud. Like, but if I watch a movie and know what's going to happen, I won't tell anybody. But watching it and guessing along is something completely different to me. It's always a loser scenario because if you guess it and you're right, you're an asshole. But if you guess it and you're wrong, you're going to get shit on by everyone that you're watching the movie. <laughs> for real, for real. So um, it sounds like this one uh, spiral is... Um, 
gonna be rated R. <laughs> that was really, uh, <laughs> we'll get a G-rated version. That's the goal for the Very fans accurate. of up on the rooftop. Yeah, bring them in. Um, yeah, uh, you know it's uh, it's radar, but like everything behind it, I, we try to put like intention behind it. You know, it's not like a um, there's boobs on screen just to have boobs. You know, like yes. everything is actually pretty integral to the plot and the characters and what's going on with the situation, which. Um, that's what I wanted, you know. Um, I didn't want to make a movie that uh, people were like, whoa, what the F is this? You know, I wanted to, even though that most people do have that, you know, when they see it. But uh, it's been cool to see people who it um, communicates with them in a way that they understood it and they got it. And they tell me that. And it's like, oh, cool. Like uh, through all like the the craziness you see on screen, you got the essence of it, which is that's cool. When is uh, Spiral going to be available for people to watch? I've seen the trailers. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple trailers out. We're still looking at different distribution options just because that's like an entirely different world right now, you know, with like streaming and because uh, like with DVDs kind of going out the door, uh, people watch movies in uh, dozens of ways compared to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So um, we're trying to look at the, what the best route is for a movie like this. I still want to keep the theatrical experience a thing, okay. even though younger generations, it's and just people in general, movie theaters, are, seems like, um, well, I mean, sometimes it seems like they're really popular and sometimes they seem like they're going out of business, you know, like with, uh, with Netflix, TV shows are so good that you don't have to ever leave your house, like. We're just going to end up in a pod someday just looking at videos and shitting and eating and doing everything in there. You know, there's some, like, touch on your theater, like, uh, some of them are seem popular, some of them don't. It's it's partially because, like, for two people to go to the theaters, if you get refreshments, a lot of times that's like 30 bucks right there just to go see a movie and have some popcorn and soda, you know? That's movie pass. I know, man. We need to set you up with an affiliate link for uh, movie pass here so you get a little kickback. Here's the beauty of it. This area gets real. I'm like cranking out advertisement for movie pass and I'm totally comfortable with it. Um, on Tuesdays at our movie theater, it costs $5 to go to a movie. So I go to the movie theater for $5 and I still have 8 75 less on the debit card. So I can just go buy a whole meal with that. Even though that's like a small Coca-Cola, but. <laughs> so, and they refill it each day? They refill it every day. Every day. <laughs> we, we like sound like uh, peasants who are like talking about future technology. <laughs> Wait a minute. They put the money on the car. <laughs> Describe this concept. Yes, yes. And it's like, what do you mean you put in the future? There's these things with tires, and you turn the, the you, you start them with a key? You, same key you unlock the dungeon door with? <laughs> I see where you're going at. <laughs> but yeah, I agree that it's, it's super expensive, but I feel like the experience is where it's going to come in. Because uh, now they have the cool theaters with like the food and the drinks and like the the more like they work in the restaurants and they have um, the the lounging chairs. So like I think they need to boost up that. Yeah. Uh, better sound. 
Um, you know, because some of the outdated theaters, it's like, I'll just stay home. I have like a better entertainment system than this, you know? Uh, but in especially in bigger cities, there's like some really cool uh, state-of-the-art theater technology that is just a whole new ball game that you can't get in your home. Yeah, true. And like nowadays, like they're starting to have, I think you mentioned the lounger chairs where the chairs actually recline. It's, it's like watching it in your house. You don't have to worry about like the person's head in front of you. Like, oh man, I can't see what's going on over there. Oh shit. Damn tall guy. Take off your hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Over Christmas, uh, my sister kept talking about the dream lounge. And I had no idea what that was, but uh, we saw it downsizing that piece of shit Matt Damon movie. But we saw it in the Dream Lounge chairs. Yeah. And it was a total game changer. Right on, man. Right on. I've seen a couple movies in those uh, chairs. Like, I saw the new Star Wars like that. Did it change the experience for you? You know, I normally have try to find that one spot like that one row like in the stadium seating where you know there's the bars and you can like hang your feet out and not have to worry about the people in front of you just Mm because when i go to the movie i like to kick back relax a little bit so it took that it took having to find that away for me you know i actually was able to just go like recline watch star wars and spider-man you know I was in Times Square about six months ago and I was on a shoot and we had like a three hour break. So I went and saw Spider-Man in Times Square and I was like double downing. I wanted to get the most expensive movie ticket I got. So I was like, I got the Dream Lounge. I got 3D. I got IMAX. It was in Times Square. The ticket was $40 to go see Spider-Man Homecoming. And it was like, yeah, it was just me. It was awesome. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Were you in New York uh, shooting? Um, I saw that you were doing stuff with Micah Hyde. Yeah. Um, so what I'll do is in between like shooting the feature films, I uh, I do different. Uh, I hate the term freelance, but I'll do different like freelance projects for different people around the country. Uh, and uh, yeah, we did some stuff with Micah Hyde, who is a pro bowler now for the Buffalo Bills, and. Um, we've done some like foundation stuff. My brother runs a inner city writing program in the Bronx. And so like, I've done like videos for them. Um, and now I'm trying to like lean more toward, uh, making documentaries around, uh, that sort of stuff. But I, my main passion is the feature films. Like that's, uh, if I could work 24 seven on that, that's, that's what I'm ultimately building toward it. Um, getting closer to getting lost in movie land. Yes, yes, that's a that's a good place to get lost in. And you know, now that Micah Hyde is in Buffalo and not Green Bay, I can like him. Um, I I'm a Bears fan, born and raised. So oh, Bears, nice. Yeah, yeah. So the Packers, uh, it was it was he. I could tell he was a likable guy, but he was a Packer, so that was kind of uh, a strike against him. <laughs> yeah, totally. And the Packers uh, missed the playoffs because of their defense. So. Irony strikes. Yes, yes. All right. You were talking about documentaries. I'll I'll leave my hatred uh, for Green Bay Packers out of this for right now. <laughs> but you were working on documentaries, and we talked about this on my episode with Tom Garland. Tommy, there's another five. You're shooting <laughs> something with uh, Rob Van Dam. Yeah, um, I uh, I grew up a massive uh, WWE fan. And um, I actually became even probably a bigger fan like three years ago. 
Really? And um, yeah, a pretty much encyclopedic esque level of wrestling history, specifically WWE, which um, most people that find out are like, I kind of, I'm like in the middle of fitting into the stereotype of a wrestling fan, but like not quite all the way. Okay. So um, yeah, I, uh, I've always just been like really fascinated by it. I, um, I love the industry. I think it's a, just unlike anything else. And I'm probably, I could probably get more invested TV wise into WWE than I do about 85% of TV shows, I would say. Um, and, uh, Tom Garland, um, he connected Rob and I and had this idea to have us film a, a documentary on Rob's stand-up comedy tour. And, um, so two weeks after, not even maybe 10 days after, we finished filming Spiral. Um, we hit the road and uh, we were in a different city every night for about, let's say, 10 nights straight. And um, we made a movie that takes its own twists and turns that I, uh, unfortunately, I can't talk too much about because um, Rob will give me a rolling and a five star frog splash. So, a five star uh, yeah. frog splash? What, what is that That's one? This is a finishing move. I see. I, Okay, I'm one of those people who, like, I kind of missed, like, the WWE when I was in, like, a young age, or WWF back in the day, and, like, grew up, I never quite got into it, but I'm also not one of those people that say it's fake. Yes, it's scripted, but that athletic talent and the abuse they take, I I couldn't do it. (laughs) uh, There's more real things that are happening in the wrestling world than there are in the tv world if that makes sense yes when people see vin diesel fighting in a movie they aren't like oh dude that's so fake that's so fake that's so scripted when it completely is and they're like hollywood punches but they're like oh he's such a badass (laughs) i'm just uh, kind of maybe a a sadistic condition i fell into but movie fights a lot of times aren't like satisfying anymore for me because um, with wrestling, there's like way more contact and way more brutality that goes on versus yeah. in, uh, in a Hollywood fight. Like, okay, I know that based on camera angles, they were like 12 inches away and then like nothing connected. And like, not to say that like uh, film fights aren't physical in their own respectful way, but it's two different worlds too, man. You know, you made a uh, Kung Fu film, right? <laughs> yeah. My first movie. I grew up on um, kung fu movies like Jackie Chan, uh, uh, a lot of like Hong Kong action cinema from the 80s and 90s. And so um, I would start like replicating that in a lot of my early movies. I, was, I mean, I was, I've been making movies for, I turned 30 in May, started making movies when I was 10. So okay. I would just wow. like copy, not copy, but like, uh, like literally I would uh, stand in front of like our big screen TV as a kid. I'd put the camera behind cause I knew like a movie explosion would come. And so I would jump, um, as if the explosion was actually happening behind me, like <laughs> early predated green screen using our big screen TV in the basement. And so then it was like, all right, well, I need to find a friend to fight on camera with, you know? And so like, I started putting the pieces in place to replicate, uh, action movies, which is weird because, uh, I talk a lot about this with uh, a friend of mine. I'm like, 10, 20 years ago, just give me guns, violence, car crashes, and all the staples of an action movie, and it's like the greatest movie ever. And if you gave me any dialogue, 
I would say, get out of my face. I can't do that. <laughs> and now it's like, oh my, how the times are changing. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like, I agree. Like, action movies now, like, to me, they, they can be entertaining, but I give me those explosions with something a little deeper with it, you know? Um, I will say, though, that. Or like, some plot uh, twists. I have a, I have like a super obscure YouTube video that I'm a fan of. Um, I saw Lethal Weapon 4 in theaters with my mom when I was 10 years old. So that's just like a whole thing in its own right. And um, as a 10 year old, Lethal Weapon 4 was like Chubb City, Utah. Like I was, <laughs> I was blown the entire time, right? And uh, on YouTube, they have um, someone, I don't know what the context is, but someone recorded the audio of the Jet Li fight scene in the middle of that film. And you hear the theater's reaction to the fight scene. And like, it's several hundred people just freaking out at the moves that they're seeing because it's the first time they've seen been exposed to like, um, like a true martial arts on camera and people yeah. are just freaking out. And it's such a cool thing. Cause you feel like you're there in the theater with them. And it's like that, I think also it's kind of the future of, what I hope to see more movies is uh, more interaction, more uh, like snakes on the plane. Uh, when I saw the friends, like it was, it was like a concert, the whole film, like people were laughing, talking at the movie. They were, uh, everyone was like uh, clapping and applauding. Like those are my favorite experiences are with large groups interacting with the movie. Really? That is actually one movie I haven't seen snakes on a plane. I, I do know that, I'm sick and tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane line, but <laughs> if you watch it now, like it'll just be like a bad action movie, but coupled with the experience, it was everything. It was one of the coolest movie experiences I've ever been to. Right on, right on. Yes. Um, but you were talking about going, uh, going and seeing the movie with your mom. Uh, <laughs> like I was looking on your website. Your mom seems like quite the character, dude. Yeah, she's uh, I'm gonna. She's always had like a presence in like my filmmaking, and even like today, like uh, I still brainstorm like I want to get her in a supporting role in a movie because um, I'm obviously I'm biased being bored, <laughs> but uh, I think that uh, I think she has a ton of charisma. I think she has good screen presence. Um, she just needs um. Uh, it's when the camera's on her it's uh you know how most people they switch they're a little bit different and so like uh when i capture moments of her when she doesn't know the camera's on it's gold every single time and uh and i've uh, i've actually like to this day um i made a movie with her in college called hit mom where she was yeah. like a, an assassin that was brought out from retirement and she's like a suburban mom and like uh, to this day, I probably hear more about that movie than like most other movies. So spoiler alert on the highlights, but unfortunately, most of those are associated with my awesome mom. <laughs> right on. So it's kind of like uh, your mom will be like Clint Howard to Ron Howard, where you try to find a spot for her in almost every movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I always think of the scene in uh, Goodfellas. When Joe Pesci goes to the house and his mom is played by Martin Scorsese's mom. And uh, it's hilarious because it's just so obvious that she has no idea that a movie's going on. You know? 
she's just living life and they're just filming a scene around her like that like that's awesome you know yeah yeah that's very cool is there anything else you want to make sure we talk about before we uh jump into the other questions um yeah i'd say you know we've uh we've had six different movies now feature length that we uh, have produced we have two on the way this year the Rob Van Dam documentary. It's called Headstrong. So be on the lookout for that. That should be released sometime this year. There's also going to be Spiral. That will be released this year. And uh, yeah, I'm moving to LA in about four weeks and hoping to get the the next one off the ground this summer. So I'm uh, in the writing phase, which is uh, always the most fun. Scare quotes included. <laughs> you guys can't see that, but uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> he just said it, so it, it works. It works for a podcast. It works for a podcast. Scare quotes for a podcast. It works really well. There is a much bigger film scene in Iowa than than I knew when I lived there. Like, or at least it seems that I'm getting to know a lot more people involved. You, uh, Don Trenagle's making films now. Let's see, Linnea Quigley's doing stuff with Dan Hampel and the whole, like, uh, Demonica and Prescribed Films people there as well, along with your back rows. You haven't answered this, but what kind of helped spark that strong scene in where most people don't think of a movie scene? Uh, I, well, it was sparked by criminals on a film set ruining the tax credit thing like 10 years ago. And, uh, that's what kind of blew it up a little bit. Okay. Uh, I, I, I actually remember hearing about that, but you want to go into that just a little bit for people who aren't from Iowa? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is happening, you know, like it happens all the time. It's, it's such a, um, it's a weird industry, but. Um, basically the state of Iowa, they passed a tax credit so that it would make big budget films alluring to come to Iowa because it would be cheaper to film here than in California, New York, Chicago. And so loads and loads of Hollywood productions were bringing their people and bringing large film sets to Iowa to film. And it was like very ho-hum because there were lots of locals who were learning how to work on films and like there was lots of economy growth and people were helping different ci- like cities like Des Moines were thriving because you know Ray Liotta was in town speaking of Goodfellas to make a <laughs> and so like um, it was super uh, it was a really exciting time and then you know on one production there's like four or five people who kind of ruin it for the rest of them and they took advantage of the budgets, yada, yada, just like American greed, classic tale. And then the tax credit was lifted so that um, there's not that there's no reason for Hollywood to come to Iowa, but the financial aspect of them saving money, that piece was removed. So there's a lot less traffic coming in with the movies. But um, as you said, now it seems to be like a lot of more uh, indies coming out. And I think that's because, there was a lot of people who were still passionate about it that thought that it was taken too soon. So um, they had all these people that are really talented left here. And so I kind of opened the door for people to just rally behind whatever project was, whether it's 500 people on the crew or five people, you know? Right. Um, and that's the entire history of Iowa cinema. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should have done it in a different voice, though. You know, it been like, well, back about ten years ago, when I was, <laughs> <young."> <laughs> yeah. 
I would be I would be carried out of Iowa on a pitchfork if I did that. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, you know, there's <laughs> there's plenty of them there. There's plenty of them there. But uh, <laughs> like when uh, when you move out here. Like, I don't know, you'll probably view Iowa like I do since I'm from Iowa. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, your redheaded stepbrother or something like that. Like where you can make fun of them, but when other people make fun of them, it's like, fuck you, dude. (laughs) You don't know. There's more than corn, bro. (laughs) There's movies and stuff. Yeah, there's film scenes. Actual (laughs) Uh, no, I love it here, man. And I think that, you know, uh, it's weird telling friends that I'm moving because obviously the image is like, oh, you're, you're moving to LA and that's the end of it. And it's like, no, I view it more as like expanding. And like my ultimate dream is to have a place here in Iowa and be a snowbird essentially. And when it gets cold, it's like, all right, I'm bouncing to LA for six months. I'll be back. Hell yeah, dude. I can I can hear that. Right now I'm to the point where like I could visit snow and be fine, you know. Right. But yeah, I I did the winter for a long time. I feel where I think I'm pretty good with it. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of people say like uh it builds character and a uh, discipline, it makes you strong and I'm like I'm I'm weak. <laughs> you know, you hear people in the winter bitching complaining that it's cold, people in the summer bitching complaining that it's hot. I was like you know, I hate when people bitch about them both at the same time. Like in the summer, they're complaining. In the winter, they're complaining. I like I'm picking one and hating the <laughs> shit out of it, and I'm bracing the heat. So that's that's what I did. I was like, screw the cold. Now when I'm out here, I see people wearing hoodies when it's in jackets when it's like 50, 60 degrees, and I'm kind of laughing at them. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing is uh, I I swear off the world every time it's negative 30 here. But I guarantee once I'm back in June, I'm going to be like, man, I'm, I'm really waiting for that cold front to sweep by. This is uh, sticky out here. Yeah, it does get muggy. It does get muggy. All right. So you said you've been making movies since you were 10 years old, correct? Now, yes. what advice do you have for somebody who is either getting started out or looking to maybe take their take their filmmaking to the next level? Um, you know, like obviously when I was 10 years old, I wasn't like going in with like my five year plan, my 10 year plan. You know what I mean? (laughs) I wasn't laying out like, uh, PowerPoints to my parents about how I'm going to make a living doing film. I was just doing it because it was fun. And it was like, it was like, that was just like a hobby. It was my fun thing that I was doing. And then the years went on and then the high school I was doing it. And I was like, I want to keep going. And um, so I think it's become such a, like a, a committed path in my life that I think, you know, it's been 20 years. Obviously when I was 10, I wasn't trying to break in the industry, but my point is like, um, you kind of have to strap in for the long haul if you want to, quote unquote, make it or get to where you want to go. Um, and people have their different success definitions, but um, based on where I want to go right now and where I'm going at age 30 or I'm nearly 30, that um, I have a long way to go. And I started at age 10. So that should give some perspective of if you want to do this, um, there's a lot of dedication, sacrifice, and just different things that, um, even though like, you know, my life isn't like 
it's I'm grinding, bro. You know, it's not like that. <laughs> like uh, I hate when people are like, I'm on the grind, man. I'm grinding, bro. I'm chasing the dream. I'm just like living my life and movies are a part of it, you know? Very cool. Very cool. So say maybe not that you're talking to the 10 year old kid, but say you're talking to some uh, 20 year old or even I only give advice to 10 year olds. Okay. Well then fuck. <laughs> uh, we'll have to, we'll have to edit out some swearing. So 10 year olds can listen to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is your main demographic for uncontained, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uncontained and unchanged. <laughs> I'm going for a younger audience too, like with the dirty diapers. Podcast pitch, unchained, <laughs> not unchained, not unchained. Okay, good. They need, they still need to have the chains on them. Yeah, yeah the kids need the chains because they're crazy. But uh, okay, so say like you're talking to like a 20 or 30 year old who might have already started doing something else, but really has the passion to get into doing film. All right. What would you suggest for them to do maybe a first step or something along that line? I mean, honestly, the biggest thing with the movie I've learned is the script, you know? And so like the first thing you have to really do is just write what you're going to do. And it doesn't have to be a fancy polished perfectly warner brothers templated you know final draft software screenplay it can just be um a notepad on your phone i've gone through my phone on the notes and i found like old little three minute skits just written out that like if you watch them it just it's it goes perfectly along with the note and the cell phone and like that's just technology at work you know like that's going to keep improving but uh i think the very first thing you need to do is from a logistical standpoint is write the thing that you want to do and after that it's really just uh, a lot of film is just coordinating it's like calling people it's setting schedules out and like that's a part that gets like harder as i get older because uh people get older people's standard of living goes up people get married <laughs> you know people like start their lives essentially and it's like harder at age 30 to be like hey you want to give up one month of your life to come help me film this movie uh, after a while, it starts to be like, uh, Joe, uh, I've got like three kids and like <laughs> a dog and a job. I don't want to make your move, you know? So then it's like, um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I guess in order to do it in like your twenties, thirties, you just have to make it a priority, I guess. Or what? I mean, what? It's hard uh, for me to give too much perspective because it's like every decision and action I do, my life is trying to get it. It's um, it's movies twenty four seven. There is no like other thing. The other thing is like the freelance projects, which um, I do take them very seriously, and I put in a lot of like effort. I want to make them look good, like you said, the Micah Hyde video that can create platforms and audiences and eyeballs that can lead to other opportunities that are more like along with my passion, but like, this is the main thing. And so like, um, how do you like, let's say it's a, what, what, uh, what was the occupation you use? Like an accountant, like, let's say an accountant wanted to become a filmmaker. Yeah. I, you s save up for three months, change your life to whatever that means. And then just make the movie. All right. Fair enough. Now that you have been doing film 
and trying to get your name out there more and more. What are you doing to uh, promote yourself? Um, I actually, I probably shouldn't, I probably should quote unquote do more than I do. Uh, <laughs> I don't have Facebook. I don't have Snapchat. I don't have Twitter. I only have Instagram. Um, I think that Instagram is pretty big in LA. So I am trying to play that rat race game a little bit, but, um, I think honestly, all of the people in my life know that I like to make movies. And so like really just comes into like conversation where yeah. like, um, everyone I talk to, like 90% of the conversation was at some point involve either movie or movie reference um something where like that's become an identity in a way and that would that's what helps out because once that kind of uh infuses with who you are then like people know you for that it makes it easier when you're trying to establish quote unquote who you are yeah definitely i heard uh somebody on on some show, I don't remember which show it was, um, say this is like whenever you are talking to somebody within the first 15 to 30 seconds, they should know that you make film or you do a podcast. Let them know what you're doing. And that way, you know, it gets out. People will find out what you're doing. And, you know, you never know who you'll meet that way, you know, and what what conversations get sparked. But you also don't want to be a dick about it either. You don't want to be that guy, which like <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're saying. Where it's like, uh, hey, face I've never seen. Well, guess what? My name is Joe Clark, and I'm a filmmaker, and uh, I'm here to sell you on my latest movie. You know, like I, uh, you don't want to do that. Which, like, I know that's how you're describing, but like, um, it's a part of a relationship, right? So, yeah. like, yeah, I don't know, man. But uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Thursday night in Iowa City. Um, Woody Harrelson's going to be in town. He's going to be really? at the IMU. And um, he basically, he did what we do. He like made his own movie. It's like based on some of his life. He wrote it, he directed it, he produced it. And he's showing the movie at the IMU. And so like I texted my friends and I was like, uh, that's right. I have friends, Aaron. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to call you out on it, man. Like, uh, I know you have to pay Tom $5 to say your name, <laughs> but <laughs> Stop, help me. one more, please. One more Joe out there. Um, uh, so like three of my friends are going to go and, uh, I'm assuming he'll do some sort of like photo op or I hope he does. And my goal is I'm going to, in 20 seconds, explain who I am and try and pitch him and basically say, how do I get a script to you? How do I get you on set for one day? Here's who I am. My name's Joe Clark. I've filmed six different feature length films. I've been on Netflix, Redbox. I'm moving to LA. I need to get you on set for one day. How do I do that? Twinkies. Yeah. Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> so odds are probably nothing's going to happen. Right. He'll probably be like, oh, like probably best case scenario. He's like, yeah, email my agent. And then we never see him again. But the fun part is, uh, my friends know I'm the movie guy. This is going to be like a fun activity. It's going to be cool. Woody Harrelson is going to be in the same room. And so it's going to be like a fun little adventure. And like, that's kind of, uh, that's what like my life is. And like, uh, like last year, um, my friend and I, we drove uh, 20 hours to uh, meet Shia LaBeouf. Really? He was doing that thing where um, he would text, he would tweet his coordinates of wherever he was. And if you were the first person to get to him, 
you could take them anywhere. And so um, we drove and we followed him for 20 hours from Iowa to Utah. And I had a script ready to give him and I was going to pitch him and drive him to my mom's house, have her like cook us breakfast or some shit, like have my mom work her magic on him and basically pitch him a role in a movie. Um, and we, uh, we were second by 30 seconds to him. Oh no. Then yeah. Did you just follow the other person to where they were taking him? <laughs> uh, the thing is my friend, and I, we went through a huge debate in like a five minute period. They're going down to Albuquerque and we're like, we've been doing this for three days. Are we about to drive to Albuquerque, New Mexico to go find Shia again? Because that's the thing is, uh, he actually, he would shut his coordinates off for like the last five hours. So he didn't know where he was. So you could turn it on and he could tweet it and he could be three hours away. And you're like, well, we're fucked. So when he tweeted it out, it was a miracle. He was 10 minutes away. Really? And so we were like, uh, we were going to tail him and potentially follow him. Cause it's like, Hey, this could work. This could not. But uh, I think that's, um, I don't know if this is one of the questions, but I think that's like kind of the mentality. You kind of have to be sort of a stalker and stained freak. To <laughs> hey, man. Hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And uh, I just thought of something. You go into the thing with Woody Harrelson with a bunch of your friends. You should have all your friends go first. Okay. Go up, meet him first and have, have them have you be like, hey, my friend Joe, he makes movies. Uh, he really wants to talk to you. The next guy, hey, my friend Joe, he makes movies. And then when you get up there, hi, I'm Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can and use we'll have, that if you want. We'll have three cameras around. And I'll be like, the movie's already happening, Woody. You're in it. You didn't know. You're in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. That that'd be cool, man. If uh, you get him on your set, you'll have to help get him on my podcast. All right, deal, deal. All right, we're <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So besides in the future having Woody Harrelson. In the movie of yours, <laughs> what is a highlight uh, or two yeah. that you care to share? <laughs> um, man, uh, we had uh, we had Reginald Bell Johnson in one of our movies. He came in for a day, and Reggie Bell Johnson is um, he's Carl Winslow from Family Matters and Sergeant Al Powell from Die Hard. Yes, and um, it was one of those things where like. Uh, I was hoping so badly that he would be like his on-screen persona and he showed up and he was like even cooler. Really? And, uh, just like the nicest. Um, he was cracking like weird, quirky jokes. He was totally professional. He like knocked all of his lines out of the park. Like uh, for being there for like 24 hours, it was so cool to see him operate and like do his thing. And like, not to say that Iowa doesn't have great acting talent, but to see someone coming in who's like done it for like 20 years, it's like, oh shit, that's a professional, you know? So how'd you end up getting him on? And that was in uh, Formula, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, um, that's kind of our first movie where we kind of got like, you know, some uh, notoriety with different uh, cast members. We had uh, Brandon Baker, who he's famous for playing Johnny Tsunami, which is like, a Disney Channel original movie from the 90s. Okay. Um, and uh, Sasha Jackson, she was in Blue Crush too. 
So uh, we had like these different actors from like things that you've heard of, essentially. Yeah. So um, that helps though, like that helps sell the film, it helps give it credibility. And so we, uh, I think we talked to his agent, sent him the script and like, that's the thing is like, most actors, they want to act, they want to work, you know, like they're not like this far off planet where they don't do anything. Like uh, most of the time, um, if they're they're working actors and they want to work, you know, and that's what's cool to see is that, oh, you did your thing, you got, you know, popular off whatever it was, and you're still doing it. That's a cool thing to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, there's the whole thing like, uh, okay, you made it to the top, now send the elevator back down, you know, <laughs> and uh, help bring somebody up with you. Yeah, totally. Right on. That that's really cool. You said and when we were talking before the show something about you have a quarter highlight. <laughs> so I, I have no clue what that means, but uh, I'm holding you to it. I want to know what this quarter highlight is. <laughs> oh sorry, uh it was a really bad joke. I meant I had one fourth of a highlight in my career. Oh no, I'm just not funny. I'm I'm sorry. That's the uh, I, I thought you, I thought you were being serious. No, you're just good at deadpan. No. <laughs> that is on my resume. That's the only thing on my resume. I am good at deadpan jokes that often aren't funny. Hence, deadpan. Deadpan. Um, <laughs> I define words that I say. But you actually do stand up comedy too, right? Yeah, I do mainly for fun. Um, it helps me, like. Just keep like, um, I don't know. It, it helps like overcome different, like, uh, just like fear of, uh, if, it, if you can learn how to like do comedy for like Vietnam vets and like blind, uh, people and like, uh, uh these are all people that were at an open mic that I was at in Vegas like two weeks ago. Okay. It was like, uh, Vietnam vets, uh, uh, blind people. There was like, um, junkies and like i not that blind people don't think funny as differentiated from different groups of people was this all in the same venue like were all, all these people at the same show yeah, I, went, uh, I went with tom garland yeah i was uh i was i was my my mom was in utah i had a seven hour layover in vegas so i hit up tom and i said hey do you wanna can you get me up anywhere i think is what i said and he's like yeah, yeah i got a spot for you and I was like, I bet it'll be like a grungy, like comedy store type place. And it was like this dive bar next to a laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> and I walk in and it was a tough crowd. And I looked at Tom and I was like, I can't fucking do this. Are you kidding me? And like, uh, he's like, no, nah, dude, you'll be fine. And so like, if you can learning to navigate that crowd, can't necessarily navigate every crowd, but like, you don't really get scared about it. Like, I'm not going to have any fear going up to Woody Harrelson and pitching him right there at the IMU for a movie. Because it's like, dude, I was shitting my pants when the Vietnam vet was, like, calling for my head because my joke about Scrabble wasn't funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a whole different, um, puts a whole different twist on things, a whole different aspect of things. And that's, a, that's a, honestly, like, I like doing it because, uh, like, like, like with wrestling, for example, I learned a lot about storytelling techniques through WWE and how that they do things. And it's like, oh, that's interesting that that character did this. And you develop like you can flex certain muscles with that. 
And with comedy, someone like Tom Garland, who is a master, because he like goes on stage every single night. He's been doing it for like eight years. Yeah, uh, you can learn a lot from someone on not only like crowd psychology, but just what comedy is, what a laugh is. And he helps me like break down different things that, yeah, I uh, I can try and be better on stage, but um, it applies to life. <laughs> <laughs> it does man it does once you've been up on stage telling jokes and like facing people like getting up at like if you have a regular job as well in front of people at work and talking it's not near as terrifying you know and that's really cool here because like i think what i'm subconsciously doing is i'm trying to build up the testicular fortitude that's a mcfoley wrestling reference I'm trying to develop the testicular fortitude to go into meetings in LA and not like shit my pants, I guess, you know? So that's what it helps with is like life stuff, not necessarily pursuing comedy, you know? Right on, man. Definitely. So with your movies, there's a range in them, as we've talked about up on the rooftop to spiral to uh, formula, which is about a couple uh, teachers who developed a formula that helps them pick up chicks type thing. But is there something? <laughs> is is it? I, I'm sorry. I, I I saw the preview for it. I I can't go in too deep into the explanation of it, but I think I got the gist of it. It looks funny though. <laughs> it does look funny, and it has Carl Winslow in it. So. <laughs> That, that's the real formula. Yes. And uh, so is there something through all those movies that you want your audience to take away that, that carries through? Or is there a certain feeling you want your audience to take away when they see one of your movies? Uh, I don't think I'm at the level yet where you can draw like a through line, you know, like with uh, other like really big filmmakers, you know, um, I don't, I don't think I've developed the, the craft yet. I don't think I've pretty much in the moment with most of the movies, okay. but I do think that like you can look at the movies and look where I was at the time and the surrounding people in my life and use that as like a gauge almost of like the zeitgeist of where we were at that time. Um, and so like, you know, with uh, Kung Fu Graffiti, the themes of that movie are like, like I said, they're like tried and true traditional, traditional, uh, like not giving up and like going for it. You know what I mean? Like think <laughs> that like a team movie or something like that. Um, whereas with the formula, I was 23 and like, I was like dating women for the first time outside of the, in the real world. And like, um, all those things that like, that's clearly reflected in the movie with spiral. Um, it's kind of about, friends uh angst in their later 20s and like um how we grow as friendships and what happens when it's like weird when we haven't seen each other for a while like what happens to people after college yeah and so i'm sure the next movie it's gonna probably be about like turning 30 and like after your 20s and like i can see how that's gonna probably keep developing and evolving the older i get it's probably gonna be reflective uh, at the same time like I think it was like weird for some people who have been like following us to be like, what the fuck Joe's like in the blow and hookers. Like what the hell's going on? <laughs> if you go back to like my first movies when I was like 10 years old, um, I actually have more stuff involving like 
drugs and the guns and violence. Like the dog movie was more out of place than these are, you know? That's a that's the interesting thing that I think about. It's like, um, I've been doing the same stuff. I'm just like recycling ideas and I'm just getting better production value and acting and scripts to support those, you know? Okay, so if the guns and the blow and all that stuff were there since you were a child and nobody called protective services and anything <laughs> where did the uh where did the up on the rooftop movie come from like where what were what happened where you're like thinking of let's put the guns and blow away <laughs> and uh make a cute dog christmas movie <laughs> that's a uh, a i should probably point out that i had a tremendous childhood and a very loving and nurturing household <laughs> <laughs> so like it was like I had a great family life. I, I'm very close to my family, which is like uh really funny. But um yeah, like I had to keep it's all survival, right? Like I have to make a living making movies. Okay. So when I made the formula which got on Netflix, we couldn't get international distribution because the humor wouldn't translate. Um the we didn't have like our A-lister Brad Pitts to who could you could open a movie in China with him. So I went to the some producers and I was like, okay, what's a movie? Because we need to make money so we can keep making movies. What's a a movie that's gonna get out to a wider audience that will transcend international territories and whatnot? And stuff like a talking dog and Santa Claus and the holiday season, those things are universal. So they can translate a lot easier to different countries. And so like um, up on the rooftop, it actually, it opened in South American theaters behind Rogue One last year. Really? I, I saw that uh, post on your Instagram about uh, it opening up in South America, but it was like in the box office just behind Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, number three, which is, uh, it's crazy because most like, People don't know that I'm some schmuck in Iowa that made this movie for nothing. They probably think uh, that it was like a random studio movie. It's like, oh, it's the holiday season. <laughs> Not that it's like a no budget movie because you have the bells and whistles of like, there's dogs and there's uh, Santa Claus and like, not there's there aren't like a ton of elements that suggest that it's like, you know, a Midwest made. Um, film, if that makes sense. And people seeing it in like South America, like, oh, that's from Hollywood. <laughs> I think actually they went thinking because the trailer was well cut. They're like, oh, that's from Hollywood. But then when they went to the movie, they're like, oh, this movie fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> El Polrito de Santa Claus is getting negative reviews right now. <laughs> what was the name of it in South America? Uh, El Polrito de Santa. So very basic, the dog of Santa, I think is what it translates. Yeah, yeah, something like that. All right. But like, that's, uh, that's the punchline, right? Like, that's the most generic title ever, and it works in South America. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All right, man. So I have one final question left for you. But before we get to that, um, you want to plug uh, your one social media channel. <laughs> um, and then uh, maybe then maybe your production label or whatever as well. Sure, yeah. 
Uh, you can follow me at Joe Clark City. It's J O E C L A R K E City C I T Y on Instagram. Um, there's also you can find Spiral social media um, up on the rooftop. I think they have a pretty good following on Facebook. Um, and then Backrow Studios is our production company. All right, right on. And do they have a website or? Um, uh, you can go to backrowstudios.com, joeclarkcity.com, um, or you can just like Google half the shit too, you know? <laughs> Google, <laughs> right Google up on the top. There's, there's mainly relevant things that will come up on that Google search. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So where, what's with the city, Joe Clark City? Um, honestly, it was a thing from college where... It's like a joke with friends how you go like, uh, oh, dude, I'm going to dunk on you city.com or something like that, you know? Uh, and then uh, okay. that was like, uh, oh, Joe Clark City. And I was like 21. And it was one of those things where you just kept using it. And it's like, oh, I'll just keep using it. Because how many, uh, there's a trillion Joe Clarks. Like Joe Clark is the name uh, that comes on generic uh, name tags. <laughs> so that yeah. gives you a reference to what we're working with. So one other word uh, kind of helps at least uh, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. That's the reason why I kept my radio name static in uh, my name here as, as Aaron Static Render because it's more Googleable. I feel like there's something with the last name with the podcasting. I mean, you're kind of in audio. There's something there. I don't know what. There is. Maybe. I don't know. I'll, I'll ask Woody. All right, yeah. Then tell Woody I say hi. Tell Woody yeah. I say hi. All right, and before we get to the last question as well, I want to thank uh, Tom Garland for helping set up this uh, interview here. And Thanks, uh, go see him in Vegas. Yeah, go to Vegas and uh, that's what's awesome. It's like, uh, isn't that kind of crazy that like if you're in Las Vegas, you can just go on a given night to go see Tom Garland. Go see Tom Garland and Tom Green. Hell yeah! Same night. He he like he likes to put his bum on things. <laughs> he does. Actually, um, I want to get him in the next movie. Tom Green, definitely. If you're listening, Tom, I want you. You and Woody. All right, I got one question for you, and uh, then uh, Jeff Clark. <laughs> Joe Clark. <laughs> Did I say Jeff? <laughs> you, you leave it in, dude. You have to leave it in. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really want me to leave it in? Yes, yeah, so you have to leave Jeff Clark in. All right, uh, so I'm going to go with it again. Jeff Clark. <laughs> yeah, because that is your real name. Uh, this is how this is how I'm going to make it, is uh, Jeff is going to become a thing. Yes, Jeff Clark. How do you live uncontained? <laughs> well, as a Jeff, stereotypically. <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, you're good, dude. Uh, you're fine, Alex Render. Thank you. Let's play Jeopardy. <laughs> you know, I think that if the idea, the notion of getting a salary job, and um, I can't even make my like resume because I will be betraying my goals internally. And so, like, um, I can't get a job because I think think i would um shoot everybody in the office <laughs> oh man yeah yeah office jobs can steal your soul no um here's the thing um and this is a real thing is that there's two different worlds i think 
but they are kind of actually merging together between like the office world and like the whatever this world, the unemployed slacker world <laughs> <laughs> that somehow finds income. Um, both of it have like uh, their pros and cons. And to be honest, a lot of the this lifestyle, I have to do tons of tax stuff. I have business things like I kind of wish I had a business degree. I kind of wish I had an office job. Because a lot of times I feel like I do have an office job without any of the qualifications and experience. So actually, like the office workers are the people that know how to do shit and they have real world shit that's going on. And I'm the other dude that has no idea what he's doing. And I'm just pinballing around. (laughs) Uncontained. Pinballing around uncontained. Way to go, Jeff. All right, man. Um, thanks a lot for joining me tonight. I have one final thing for you to do. I have all my guests sign off the show. Awesome. Will you do me the honor of signing off the show tonight? Hi, I'm uh, Jeff Clark, formerly known as Joe Clark, and I live uncontained. Um, I'm signing out. Uh, Aaron Render has a killer podcast. He has uh, over 100 episodes, and I strive for whatever passion thing that you're looking to do, strive to make a hundred of those things. And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. As you heard, I had to keep in that mess up at the end of the episode. Yeah, I I don't know who Jeff Clark is, but uh, thanks for being a good sport about it, Joe or Jeff or whatever your name is. And... Uh, rolling with it here it was a great interview i enjoyed uh enjoyed the whole thing hope you guys enjoyed it as much as i did thank you for listening and until next time live uncontained